Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. To fresh production coming from Cardinal's uh, Namdini Gold Mine. The additional output from the mine, which is earmarked for the fourth quarter of 2024, will partially compensate for the anticipated decline in output of Newmont's Achim, Achim Mine and Goldfield's Diamond Mine. The latter mines are approaching their end of life. With a projected output range of 1.1 million ounces to 1.3 million ounces in 2024 from the small-scale sector, the national gold output expected to exceed 4.5 million ounces in 2024. Regarding manganese production, the plant output for 2024 is expected to double to 5 million tons. So really good um, projections for the year 2024 for us. The main downside risk, however, is a over, uh, to the overall mining production outlook in 2024 includes the high fiscal and regulatory costs, encroachment of concessions by illegal miners, and sometimes um, we're not too, being too sure about policy with respect to implementation of, say, the gold for oil program and the impacts on, on its operations on small-scale miners. I'll go a bit more into details on that. The economic contribution of the mining sector in 2023. Despite the challenges that I've talked about, the mining sector continues to be the backbone of Ghana's economy. Impact on gross domestic product. On the back of the high turnover in mineral production, the mining sector's value added to the economy increased from 9.3 billion CDs as of the end of the third quarter of 2022 to 13.8 billion CDs as of the end of the third quarter of 2023. In terms of its contribution to gross domestic product, the share of mining in GDP improved marginally from 6.5% at the end of the third quarter of 2022 to 7% in the equivalent period in 2023. All right, turning to our top story at this afternoon, the Economist Intelligence Unit is advising government to go into negotiations with private creditors or eurobond holders with tax since the creditors would demand different and complex restructuring terms compared to bilateral creditors. The UK-based firm uh, says it has doubts whether negotiations with the private creditors will be concluded by middle of 2024. Finance Minister Ken Ofriata has said that the government will begin negotiations with eurobond holders and commercial creditors seeking 40% of haircut. But speaking on the Africa Outlook 2024, principal economist uh, Benedict Craven said it is difficult to negotiate with private creditors. Common framework for debt treatments has been adopted by four sovereigns in Africa already who are restructuring their foreign debts. But the procedure has had a difficult test run. This is its first proper trial. France successfully concluded a treatment under the framework, but had a fairly small creditor pool. For those with a more complex creditor profile, 
like Zambia and Ghana that you mentioned, Pat, there have been setbacks at pretty much every stage of the restructuring. And it doesn't seem like either country will be able to conclude talks before mid-year. Our real concern here is on the optics or the messaging that all this delay sends out to other sovereigns at high risk of debt distress. Now, Zambia and Ghana will establish some precedents that can speed up the early stages of negotiations for any new default. But there are lots of fundamental disagreements that remain among various creditor groups, official versus commercial, and among official creditors themselves, and these are bound to reappear, potentially leaving economies in limbo for lengthy periods if they go down the common framework route. Right, Professor Peter Corte is Director of the Institute of Studies called Social and Economic Research. He joins us on Zoom with uh, some perspective. I know you have a busy afternoon. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Prof. So the Finance Minister has already indicated talks with the private creditors um, are going to be tough as it seeks uh, 40%. The government seeks uh, 40% haircut. The EIU, we just said, is advising government to be tactful since the private creditors are going to demand complex restructuring terms what should be the approach as government heads into negotiations next week? I think um, you're very much right. Uh, IEU is very much right. We need to be very tactful in engaging private creditors uh, because this is money they have invested. This is lifetime investment. Um, some are borrowed or some are investing people's funds and therefore you're going to give them a shave or a haircut. You ought to also be mindful that these are investment, people's investment. So I think we should go to the table, um, not with the attitude of uh, take uh, or leave, you know, but go with, with the negotiating, uh, negotiating skills and, and make sure there is a win-win situation. Uh, put yourself in their shoes and also get them to also put themselves in the shoes of government to ensure that we arrive at some consensus. Um, at least the... Uh, bilateral creditors have set the tone, uh, which then tells you uh, what the private creditors will do. Uh, but having said that, uh, a 48% uh, shave or haircut might be quite severe, and therefore we need to engage them on what on, on what terms uh, that that are suitable, and also um, what would also government can also accommodate so that we uh, move the process forward. But it's a complex process. It's quite complex. Uh, for bilaterals, it's quite uh, not too difficult. But when it comes to private credit, there are many. They have different goals. They are different objectives. They are investing funds from different sources. And therefore, uh, trying to uh, negotiate with them uh, is quite a complex situation. The good thing, however, is that the um, bilateral creditors have set the tone. Yeah, the EIU does not think an agreement will be reached until the middle of the year. What challenge does this present? How is it uh, to our advantage if we can speed up negotiations? Well, to some extent, uh, I mean, once we have suspended payments, uh, uh, there's some advantage there. Uh, however, nobody wants to leave um, under suspense. Nobody wants to live in a situation where the future is unknown because it will send a signal to other international creditors or investors who want to engage Ghana. And they will be very cautious. They will sit on the fence until we broke an agreement. So um, in as much as it gives us uh, some space, fiscal space, uh, not to pay interest, etc., it also puts us in a situation where you cannot onboard 
um, new investors, new creditors, etc. So uh, it's a catch twenty four situation, if I could put it that way. Okay. Uh, meantime, um, the executive board of the IMF is hoping to meet uh, tomorrow, Friday, uh, January 19, in Washington, D.C., at least that's all we know, to carry out Ghana's first review under the fund, uh, fund program. Now, the finance minister has disclosed that the second tranche of the IMF cash uh, will be advanced towards uh, projects outlined in the budget. Uh, this represents a departure from previous programs where the cash disbursed was directed towards supporting Ghana's balance of payment needs. Yeah, the IRS has, has evolved over time. If you look at their disbursement, this is not the first time they are disbursing funds that are now channeled into budget support uh, or financing activities. Previously, it was mainly for balance of payment support, but uh, the uh, institution has evolved over time, and they've realized it's not always the case. Now they look at the country's situation, they look at your financials, they look at your fiscal situation, or the needs of the country, and then they come into support. So the program, as we have designed, is basically looking at Ghana's needs at the moment, and they realize it's not just balance of payment support, but we need money to pay or finance other kinds of investments uh, that has been that has started. And, and that is very critical. There are some infrastructure projects that have already been started, and if we don't complete them, uh, if we should go back to them, we're going to pay quite a lot of money. So I, I believe uh, the time is now to finance over this critical infrastructure. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Director of ESA, Professor Peter Korte. I appreciate your time with us yes. this afternoon. Well, turning next to some other news, there are heightened calls for industries and other commercial establishments in Ghana to invest more in cleaner and renewable energy sources to complement their energy supply. Country Director of Daystar Power Group Limited, Victor Ezwonko, says, whilst companies can maximize productivity through varied energy mix, renewable energy sources like solar would ensure green sustainable operations. He spoke at the commissioning of Ghana's first biggest uh, rooftop solar installation in a commercial and industrial sector. There's more in this report. Recent power fluctuations in the country is impacting heavily on productivity in many commercial and industrial establishments. Although Ghana is poised to increase its energy mix to renewable sources, many small and medium industries continue to depend solely on fossil fuel sources. Country Director of Daystar Power Group Limited, Victor Ezenwoko, is encouraging businesses to adapt cleaner energy sources to safeguard the environment while ensuring sustainability. Solar helps complement what you have. It can help bridge the power gap, whether it's solar combination with batteries or grid side. It also protects our environments in reducing carbon emissions. In some cases, it can also provide you with affordable power to help support your business. So we think it's very important for more businesses to do it. We need to move to more sustainable practices. Under a contract agreement, Daystar Power Group installed the country's first biggest rooftop solar power at Ryder Iron and Steel Limited in Ghana. The installation is a 4.3 megawatt photovoltaic solar system supplying power to scraps and production units of the company. 
The company is optimistic the installation would enhance their current production capacity from 100,000 tons to a rated capacity of 300,000 tons per annum. Walid Al Alami is director of Ryder Iron and Steel Ghana Limited. When we started this factory, one of the commitments we had with the World Bank and the IFC is to try to go as green as possible, to try to be as sustainable as possible. So, so it's a big part of our commitment towards having a sustainable operation. Um, and they came in to add those two things. One is helping us increase our capacity by providing more power. Two, reducing our reliance on, on you know, non-green non or fossil fuel um, source of energy. The solar installation is expected to reduce carbon emissions at the company by about 50,000 tons over a 20-year lifespan. Caleb Bennett Dugan is a project engineer at Daystar Power Group Limited. This installation comprises of an external transformer. So we have a smart transformer unit. So with this transformer, the inverters are giving us a voltage of 800 volts. They will be stepped up to the 33, and this is what supplies to the client. So as of now, we are doing close to 3 megawatts of power currently. See, we are taking 17% of their electricity needs when solar is running from morning to evening. This is going to support them by reducing their energy costs. So at the end of the month, their bills will reduce and also they, are, they will be running on green electricity, green power, which will promote their sustainability goals. After the first phase of the installation project, Daystar anticipates completion of the 8-megawatt solar system and its partnership with the company. For Joy News, my name is Emmanuel Brightquaker. All right, so you're watching the marketplace. Next, the Joy Business Advisory, Advisory Series. We have been taking a look at the working capital management, what it is. Yesterday, we talked about why small, uh, small and medium-scale enterprises should set up operational policies that will safeguard their working capital and how that could give uh, those good credentials that could aid in acquiring loans from banks and other financial institutions. Senior Manager Accounting Advisory Services at KPMG, Stephen Betchy, joins us again to continue the conversation. I got the name right this time. Mr. Betchy, welcome to uh, the marketplace. And so uh, today we're going to put the spotlight on um, corporate corporations, right, large companies. Um, how, how, how is it different when we talk about working capital management from um, what we discussed yesterday about small and medium-scale enterprises? Thank you. So first of all, the differences will happen to be uh, an areas that I'm going to talk about. First, about access to resources. Mm-hmm. You remember yesterday I said that small and medium enterprises, they are limited in terms of getting access to resources. And even they don't have track records when they want to extend credit with their suppliers. But when you come to corporate organizations, it's very different. They have track records. They have wide access to a number of things, and it's good for them. Another area that we need to look at is risk tolerance. For small businesses, they are, the risk is very high. Even when they are extending a contract with suppliers, the suppliers can give them a longer period before they can, you know, um, pay them. 
But the, the corporate ones, because they have capital base and they are big, they are able to negotiate better deals, better terms and conditions mm. to their advantage. The next one happens to be focus. Small and medium enterprises focus mainly on getting money to meet the day-to-day -day operational activities. Corporate organizations, they do so, but the focus is on profitability and stability, well, so that they will use working capital as a means of growth and investing in other areas. The next one happens to be flexibility. Small, medium enterprises, they are so flexible, they can adapt as and when changes happen. But when it comes to corporate organizations, they have good structures, mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to break such structures. And therefore, it's also an advantage for them. When opportunity comes, you need to, you know, you need to go through more bureaucratic ways in order to uh, get what you want. And by that, opportunities may slip. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about the challenges that uh, large corporates face in managing uh, their working capital. Okay, so I'll pick the components. Put it on the card. Put it in the bag. These three bags used to be six. Seems like the only thing going up these days is your credit card balance. If only there were some place to turn. Just ask your home. It's got equity. And with Rocket Mortgage, you can use it to get cash quickly for whatever you need. Visit JustAskYourHome.com today. Call 1-800-863-4332 for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. We spoke about it's also applicable to corporate organizations. When you pick inventory uh, as a case, you know, overstocking and understocking is a big issue. When they overstock, they, they tie up cash somewhere, and it also affects their storage cost, and so on and so on. And when they, it comes to understocking, they may miss a lot of opportunities, and customers may not be happy. So having optimal balance between overstocking and understocking is a big problem for um, corporate organizations. They are large, and therefore it's difficult. Another one happens to be receivables. You know, when they, they sell, I mean, their customers, it's difficult for them to pay. At times, they delay unduly, and they will not get cash to pay operational activities. Another one happens to be forest exchange, exchange rate, because they, they are big companies. They can trade across beyond the borders of the country. And when that happens, you know, they need to exchange maybe to get hard currency and so on. And remember last year what happened, the exchange rate, I mean, it shot up I mean, significantly, and these things do affect them in no small measure. I, I mean, you talk about how these things affect, so I like when, when it comes to day-to-day -day operations, how are they impacted if they are facing challenges like this? They, they, they impact them in no small because it affects the working capital. Remember, the main theme here is working capital. When these things happen, for example, the forest, they need to, when you order something today, and the next time you are paying, the day you ordered, the exchange rate in order to get the exact amount is different from when you are paying. Therefore, you need to pay more money. 
and it's the working capital that you are using to fund that. And when receivables is, is not coming, you are not getting money to, have, to pay things that you need to pay. And these things go a long way to affect your capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get it. And so with these uh, challenges that you have enumerated, let's talk about the strategies um, for large organizations when it comes to working capital management. What would you recommend? First of all, I would say that companies have to look at their cash conversion cycle. That is an ability to convert inventory to cash. Okay. The shorter the period, the better it is. The longer the period, it's not good. So they should analyze and reduce it. How can they reduce it? The inventory, the average inventory days should reduce. The receivable, the average receivable days should also reduce. And you should also encourage favorable payment terms with uh, uh, suppliers so that you can delay paying. And in that sense, you can get available cash. That aside, you also have to cash money, um, cash flow. You need to analyze your cash flow very well. Beginning of the year, you need to have your cash flow for the entire year. Or we break it down into monthly basis, weekly basis, and if possible, daily basis. And what it does is that because you have forecasted what is going to happen in terms of inflows and outflows, you have the view. So if, for example, in the month ahead, looking at your inflows and then outflows, you have a surplus. You take advantage of that. You can invest it elsewhere. But if it's a uh, deficit, you need to um, ask yourself, what can you do? Example, if there are so many things in the receivables, encourage the team so that they can go and bring more money so that we can able to uh, make sure that we don't go into any difficulties. Another area that we need to look at is managing the relationship. Mm. This is applicable to both the supplier, and also the customer. I always say that relationship is currency. If you have relationship with somebody, even if, I mean, the person is delaying payment, your relationship will be able to, I mean, convince the person in such a way that what you need, I will be given to you. So relationship here is very, very important when you are in business. So that is what, and then the next one that we need to look at is um, ensure that companies should apply for withholding exemption, withholding tax exemption. Okay. You know, what it does is that, you know, when you don't have withholding tax exemption, you need to, when suppliers are paying you, you need to pay that amount less, depending whether goods or services, withhold 3%, or 7.5% and pay to GRE on, on your behalf. But when you have that withholding tax exemption, what it does is that they will not with, with, withhold any money. They will give you everything up front. And you have money okay. to meet your operational activities within the space of time. Well, just because you're talking about the cash conversion cycle, uh, I want you to talk to us a bit more about how uh, companies can analyze and optimize 
the cash conversion cycle uh, so, uh, to ensure that there's uh, working capital efficiency? Good. So first you look at your inventory. When you look at your inventories, how many days is it taking you currently to convert your inventory I mean, to cash and the number of days it takes, you make sure you reduce it as low as possible. You don't keep stock excessively. If you keep stock, there are so many costs that are attached. Another one is the receivables. You make sure that the average receivable days has also reduced. The, one, the next one is payables. You make sure the average payable days have also reduced. You need to negotiate with your suppliers so that they can give you favorable payment terms. Mm. And if that happens, you know, it will go a long way to soften how you pay or you manage your working capital. Okay. Uh, finally, I want us to talk about um, cash flow forecasting and how that helps in uh, working capital management. As I earlier said, you know, when you have the, uh, the cash flow forecast, it shows what is going to happen in, during the year, month ahead, week ahead, and so on. So it's like proactive management. Mm-hmm. You know what is going to happen where money we are going to fall short. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.